0: the RI Science podcast, where we bring you thought provoking lectures from the world's sharpest minds. In today's episode, Adam Rutherford chairs a panel discussion on race and racism. Geneticist Eva MacLeisett tells us that scientifically speaking, race doesn't actually exist, but racism definitely does. Keenan Malik and Heidi Mirza join the conversation and the panelists discuss the social constructs through which we experience the world and whether science has the potential to change them.
1: Uh, Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Royal Institution for an entirely non-controversial evening (laughs) in which we will finally solve the questions of race and racism. I'm Adam Rutherford. Uh, I'm a science writer, broadcaster. I present Inside Science on Radio 4. And I am half English. My father was born in the northeast of England, but was raised in New Zealand. I'm half Indian, though my mother never sat <coughs> has never uh, set foot in India. She was born in Guyana. But I was raised by my stepmother, who's from Essex, although we recently discovered that her father, my grandfather, was raised by the Sisters of Mercy as an orphan. Not the bands, the Sisters of Mercy. Uh, <laughs> the nuns, the Sisters of Mercy. Although the first option would have been much cooler. Um, as an orphan... In Liverpool, but his father, whose name was uh, John Adams, his actual name was Joseph Abrahamson, and he was uh, an Orthodox Jew who was uh, naturalized when he emigrated in the end of the 19th century. I'm going to ask the panel to introduce themselves
2: in exactly the same way. I'm Kenan Malik, but before I do so, I have to tell you a ritual that, that most black and Asian, in fact, most minority people, Go through, which is, someone will buttonhole you and they'll say, where are you from? And I'll say, I live in London. And they'll say, no, no, where are you really from? And I'll say, I grew up in Manchester. (laughs) No, no, where are you really from? And I'll say, (coughs) I was born in India. And and they'll say, ah, as if, you know, they found me. And in fact, it's probably the least significant aspect of of what I am now. But to play the game, as it were, uh, my, my, (laughs) my mother was, comes from South India. She's, Hindu. My father comes from Burma. They're Indians who moved to Burma several generations before, came back to India when the Japanese invaded in 42. Um, he's Muslim. And as for me, um, I'm still hoping to find a human being inside me sometime.
0: <laughs> me? Ifa. Okay. Yeah. So my name's Etha McLissett, and I'm Irish, and my parents are Irish, and my grandparents are Irish. <laughs> And I did my 23andMe hoping I'd find some family mystery or some little bit of scandal. Um, so 23andMe is one of these genotyping companies and it came out as 100% Irish. Which, it was just very disappointing. So.
3: <laughs> um, I'm Heidi Mirza and um, I don't really want to play this game. Um, and that's largely because who who are we? Who am I? is a really contentious issue. And how often do we get to tick a box to say who we are? Nearly just about every day, you have to tick an ethnic monitoring box. And I want to rail against that. And I would never go for a genetic test. And I would say that who I am isn't as important as what I do. So I'm professor of race, faith, and culture. And I would also say that that's not an accident, because who we are is because of what we've gone through, our experiences. So when I came from the Caribbean to England in the 70s, the racism in my school formed me and made me want to ask questions about identity. So it isn't who I am, but what I do is who I am, if you get what I mean.
1: I do, and in fact, (laughs) That was exactly what Batman says.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I, I need to give credit where it's due as well, because this event was organised by a friend of ours and a friend of science, a guy called Alam Shahar, who's a, who many of you will know. He's the author of the, the book, The Young Atheist's Handbook. And I just want to tell a very quick story um, about Alam, who couldn't be here tonight. So some of you will also know the science journalist Alok Jar. Uh, who used to write for The Guardian and is now the science correspondent for ITV. And you'll also notice that Alok and Alom are only one-letter difference, (laughs) and the three of us are friends. And there was an event we were doing at the Wellcome Trust a couple of years ago where Alom was speaking, and I had gone with Alok. And we arrived slightly early, and the security guy, who was a slightly older chap, um, and was doing his best... Um, but he, uh, he, when, when we introduced ourselves, he said, well, you need to go through to the green room because you're on stage. And Alok said, no, no, that's Alon who's on stage. We're just his guests. And the security guard kind of chuckled to himself and, and said, oh, it's an easy mistake to make because you're both, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and both, of, we both of us just went, what? did you just do the hand wavy thing? <laughs> wow, I didn't think that really actually happened anymore. <laughs> So, in some ways, that kind of frames um, the way I want to... I'm going to attempt a structure this evening, and I'm, I'm very aware that we will, that structure will soon fall, fall apart. Um, but Aoife and I are geneticists. I'm, I'm a, a recovering geneticist. Aoife is a practicing geneticist. Um, Kenan is a sort of um, social... I'm, I'm an in-betweener who, who, uh, who does nothing. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> And kind of does nothing at all, but has written extensively on race and, and has a profound understanding of genetics. And Heidi, as was already described, is more on the sociological side. So we're, I, I'm nominally, according to the title, which is not up there, I'm nominally dividing the evening up into talk about race and what that is, and then racism and what that is uh, separately. And the, 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 the question is, how does science help us understand one, both, or either of those of those terms. And by, the, and by half past eight, um, well, I think we'll have it perfectly sorted. Um, at least that's, that's the challenge. And I run a pretty loose ship, as you can probably tell. Most of my notes are blank. <laughs> um, and so I want to open it up to the audience as soon as possible. And I think we're friendly enough here on a night like this to, if you stick your hand up at any point um, and I notice you then I will direct questions from the audience, and at some point, we'll open up properly and bring the lights up and and have as much of a conversation as we can. So, in the manner that I have already described, I want to talk about the hard, straightforward science up front. I also want to talk about the the genetics that you mentioned in terms of having genetic ancestry testing and what that means and what it actually tells us in a bit. But first, I'm going to turn to you, Aoife, as the resident geneticist, and and. Dealing right now, in the present, contemporary genetics, post-human genome, um, what does the concept of race mean to the average geneticist?
0: So I think if you talk to just about any geneticist, and if they're talking about race, the first thing they will say at the beginning of their talk is race does not exist. Human race does not exist. So the term race, in terms of biology, has been used to describe within a population, subgroups that are a bit separate from each other. And what you're talking about genetically in that case is you're saying, well, this group are more like each other than any of them is like the other group. And this group, similarly, are all quite like each other, more than any is like the other group. And this is not at all what we see in human populations. In human populations, what we see is the vast majority of genetic variation is shared worldwide, and you find it everywhere. So about 85 to 90% of the variation that exists is found everywhere. It's not geographically isolated. And we see this is true because um, we are a very young species. So there hasn't been very much time for differences to accumulate and to become separated. And it's also true because we have always been and we continue to mix a lot. And so all of our genes are shared worldwide. So if you're talking about race from a genetic point of view, in humans, we say it doesn't exist. In other species, you might argue that it does exist, but in humans, we're a very young species. We're constantly mixing, and there aren't—you don't find um, these divisions. So, if you measure genetic variation, you can't find a group that is really so much more uh, similar within the group than they are at individuals between between groups. So, what we can, what we typically think of as races, or just even people from different geographic origins, if you pick two Inuits and ask how genetically similar are they and you, you find a similar level of genetic difference between two Inuits than you do between an Inuit and a German or, um, you know, or somebody from India. So you, know, you find the same amount of genetic difference even though there are some outward physical characteristics that we can see which do have geographic patterns which some of those are for other reasons.
1: Whereas... If you were to take, on average, any two people from the African continent, they are going to be more genetically different from each other than they are to anyone else on Earth. How do we measure that? What does that actually mean? I mean, that's that's one of those oft-quoted things, but what are we actually talking about when we say uh, genetic similarities or genetic variation between people?
0: So, um, well, we have the technology nowadays to sequence the entire DNA. So it's a, and it is. We do talk about it as a sequence of letters, and it is as simple as just the number of letters that are different between individuals. And then we have, there are geographic patterns within that. And the reason we see the most of the richest genetic diversity in humans exists in Africa because our species originated in Africa. So if I was to revise my self-introduction more correctly, I should say. I'm an African and all my ancestors are Africans and we're all Africans.
1: Apart from the Neanderthals who are very European.
0: Well, the Neanderthals are a little bit more European, but um, everybody has a bit of Neanderthal. But they still had... They just—they came from Africa too just a little earlier.
1: Right. <laughs> um, uh, Kenan, what, what about... So, uh, you know, in, in terms of the genetics, that is a non... What Aoife has just said there is non-controversial. Uh, there. When we look at human variation at a genetic level, we see no essential characteristics that isolate with one particular group over another and yet everyone kind of knows what race is most people agree that race exists racism is a real thing we see physical differences incredibly diverse audience by the way I've done many of these at the Royal institution over the years but I don't think I've ever seen so many non-white faces so well done you lot Um, (laughs) including on stage actually (laughs) Uh, Maybe you, it's
3: got something to do with the topic. Um,
1: <laughs> I think it's like random variation. Um, what? But people know—you know—there are physical differences between people. There are very obvious physical differences between people, and most people make, are, are, well, many people are willing to make statements which allow them to geographically isolate one group over another. So, how does that relate to what Aoife has just said in terms of
2: genetic diversity? Um, being relatively insignificant. That's a very complicated question, <laughs> but let, let me let me deal with one aspect of it. Um, one of the reasons I think that science finds it so difficult to get a handle on race is because we're we're very peculiar as human beings. We what we call there are no such thing as natural human c- groups. Things like Migration and intermarriage, war, conquest, forced assimilation, voluntary segregation, all political and social rules, customs, such as the the one-drop rule in America, which deems that if you've got one black ancestor, you are black. um, You're socially regarded as black, and so on. All those things mean that all the categories into which we people are social categories. But at the same time, social categories, the way we put people into categories, whether it's by nation, by ethnicity, by faith, by whatever, by culture, they're not entirely arbitrary. People um, do self-segregate to a certain extent within certain groups. And therefore, social groups can have certain biological consequences. And it's the difficulty in understanding the relationship between those two, I think, which, which makes it difficult to, to think about, uh, about race. Race doesn't exist, but, and yet there are differences between um, human populations. Um, and the difficulty is that because we think in terms of race, where differences are important, we, we, often, we, we often don't connect with the right differences. Take something like sickle cell anemia. Now, Everybody knows that sickle cell anemia is a black disorder, except it isn't. Sickle cell anemia is a disorder of those who've who've grown up in areas whose ancestors come from uh, areas where malaria was, was prevalent. West Africa is one of those areas. So is the Mediterranean Basin. So is parts of Turkey and the Saudi Peninsula. So are parts of India. But because socially we imagine black, and we, we, we think of black bec- uh, largely through the process of slavery and so on, we imagine uh, that, that black is to do with West Africans or, or, or their, their descendants because most of the people, most of the black people in America and in Britain have come from there. So we imagine that sickle cell is a black disorder. And that's, to do with our social imagination, nothing to do with with, with biology. And it raises a major problem, because if we think of sickle cell as as a black disorder, it means there are large groups, for example, in Britain, who may suffer from sickle cell, for example, Cypriots, Indians, uh, who are ignored because it is seen as a, a, a black disorder. So what I'm trying to say is that the categories into which we put people socially are not actually particularly useful when we want to talk about genetic differences between uh, 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 groups. We don't group people into, into the category their ancestors came from areas which were, which were malaria-prevalent. If so, then we, we could deal with questions of the issue of, of, um, of, of sickle cell very easily. But because our social categories are not Of that form then it becomes much more difficult to to deal with these kinds of issues but it seems to me that the really important question the thing to remember is that when we're talking about human differences we have to ask what question are we asking and in what context are we asking that and then we can work out which differences are significant and which are not so there's
1: there's an equivalent to the sickle cell story which i think is of relevance here which is uh, the discovery of the gene of the disease Tay Sachs. So this is it's a, a disease discovered by two different doctors, Dr. Tay, and see if you can guess the other guy's name um, in around about 1880. And both times they discovered the the existence of this gene in heavily inbred Jewish families in the states, one in the states and one in London. And so this Tay Sachs was the first disease which got labelled as a effectively a racial or culturally specific disease. And to this day, people, when I talk about Tay-Sachs, refer to it as the Jewish disease. Now, by about 1884, about three years after it was first described, the first examples of Tay-Sachs were described in, as was the language then, the exceptional language, in Gentile families. And to the extent that it was isolated as a culturally specific, as a Jewish disease, they were given a different diagnosis, and it wasn't, it wasn't called Tay-Sachs in these kids, even though every single one of the symptoms was identical. And that, that sort of labelling continues to this day. There are songs by... Um, there's a Tupac song um, which references... Ta- uh, no, it doesn't. It references sickle cell as an insult. And that's in, the, you know, that's in the 1990s. I want to ask you, Heidi, if these sorts of labels that we do so casually... Have any value to us, have any positive value to us in terms of establishing our own our own identity? I mean, we talked about about being black, but at the same time we've referenced the fact that from a genetic point of view, talking about black people is pretty much meaningless.
3: Yeah, well, I think if you if you look at a watershed moment, which was the Enlightenment period, which is the 18th and uh, 19th century, um, we find that there was this real impulse, this real desire to classify the natural order of the world. And that natural order is where science comes in, because they measured difference. And that is a key key turning point um, to explain why we have certain categories now. So at that time, there was somebody called Cuvier, who, in the um, in the 1830s, developed a, um, a classificatory system, and that classificatory system was based on different types or races. And I remember at school, and it was 19, you know, 60s, 50s, 60s. Um, a big map on the wor- of the world on the wall. And it was divided up, not only into empire, but also different. There was pink, I think, I remember, was mongoloid, and then there was caucasioid, and 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 then um, um, oriental, and they were all different colours on the map. And that was the world that I grew up in. Do any of you recognise that world? Mm-hmm. And um, And that was the natural order of things. And then we gave that natural order different values. So for example, we would say, um, when we look at the, the race science of that era, you know, they measured skulls, different sized skulls, meant different levels of intelligence. And of course, there was a hierarchy in which the white male was at the top, and, you know, right down, to people who were black, people of color, who were seen closer to apes. So it was this evolutionary notion of difference. And I would argue very much that that has stuck. And even though that's 200 years ago, we still see those patterns today because we were drawn to this idea of natural difference.
1: Classification in biology is incredibly important. It's also something which hamstrings much, much of biology, but that's a slightly different... Conversation, But it's, it's worth pointing out, though, that Darwin was pretty explicitly opposed to what you've just described and was an, a non-essentialist in terms of, you know, as, the, as the father, as the person who described evolution accurately for the first time, he was adamant that there were no essential characteristics in any one group of people, which, was referred to, which were referred to as races, but that's not in the same way that we use the term these days, that wasn't fluid that wasn't a characteristic that would pass through time and would be transferable from one group of people to the other.
0: In the last just over 10 years we've had a big revolution in genetics enabled by technology and so we've been able to sequence genomes, um, so the total DNA of people and what, what, um, there's been this big scientific effort to try and sample human diversity, so there's this project where uh, they got volunteers who gave a DNA sample, and this was uh, about a 1,000 people, or so thereabouts, um, from all over the world, so lots of different geographic localities. And what they did was they used the best technology at the time to sequence these bits of DNA and to measure the differences. And so you have, you, you look at, you've got, each, for each individual, you've got the the um, little set of letters they have that are variable somewhere in somebody. So it turns out about... Um, one every thousand letters is different somewhere in somebody. And when they did this, then they applied this um, statistical clustering um, technique. So it's a mathematical technique we don't need to get into the details of. But basically what it does is, if you say divide this these data into two groups, it'll divide them into the best two groups it can. If you say divide it into... Three groups, it'll find the best division to force it into three. And if you say four, and if you say five, so when you say divided into two groups, it comes out basically Africa and everywhere else, roughly. And then when you say three groups, um, I think was the next one that popped out was European. Uh, was no. It, e- I get that wrong? Um, Eastern Asian. Okay, yes, but then with the interesting thing, I think the point that Adam wants me to get to, um, <laughs> this will happen a lot, um, is that in, when you when you in on five groups, the groupings come out roughly along those lines of African, um, African, Amerindian, um, Caucasian. Yeah, Caucasian, so Caucasians, yeah, Europeans, then the Southeast Eurasian, Asian, Eastern Asian, yeah, Aborig- so it comes out approximately the way those awful maps were. And um, so, depending on how you want to read this, you can either you can have your racism reinforced uh, and people choose to do that and um, but then the thing is if you decide to make six groupings if you say well what are the six most natural biological groupings then suddenly this group in the northeast of india <laughs> pops out as just special all out on its own and that nobody had ever you know so this so it's it so um there's a few things going on here so i suppose as a geneticist i suffer a bit in terms of Um, Genetics has a horrible history in this. At certain points in time, genetics was used to try and justify racism. And so people try to say, if there are genetic differences, then... Anything I claim, uh, any horrible um, view I hold is somehow scientifically justified. And this is So people have been trying to use genetics. So the first thing we see is that, and what I said at the beginning is still true, the, um, about 85 to 90% of genetic variation is shared worldwide. So when you find these patterns, what you're finding is, um, of the bits that aren't shared. So you're kind of saying if you really insist and you take the bits that aren't shared, um, well then do they have patterns? And yes, they do. And then you also have some things that are just a bit more common one place than the other. Um, but one thing about race then and the idea of race. So I am a scientist and I hope that um, I'm led by the data. You know, I'm still a human being, so I can't claim that I never make mistakes. But um I, you know, so but in terms of race, my my, um, my, I'm convinced that I'm led by the data, and I say there's no such thing as race in human populations. But if there were, I would accept that. But I would never accept that as any kind of justification for any kind of prejudice. So, in terms of, we have another kind of biological difference that we see in. Uh, human populations, which is just slightly more than 50% of the population are female and the rest are male And this is a very big biological distinction You can find biological traits that are very very different between these two groups and that in no way just uh, There's plenty of them Adam. You'll think of one um, <laughs> and But this in no way justifies any kind of prejudice so um, race doesn't exist Biologically and genetically, but if it did still wouldn't be
1: how do, you feel, how do you feel about that? Not, not the difference between men and women, the, the, but just, just that sort of very stark statement that race doesn't exist.
3: It's, it's wonderful that genetics can say this, but you said that, you know, that you're a human being and that you have... You, the way you look at the data will automatically... Come through the lens of the social world that we live in. So when we began our conversation, you said, you know, that you were Irish. So therefore, and and genetically, you are 50-50 mix,
1: 50, north 50, North mixed. European and South Asian.
3: And you're using racial categories to describe those oh, genetic no, I don't think they categories are. that that really don't really exist. So at the same time that you say they do exist, we still are using categories in order to understand the data. And one of the ways that this plays out very much, and I know we're talking about genetics, but the way in which genetics then moves into the kind of medical and other ways in which it's used. So for example, it's used for various drugs targeted at particular communities. So, for example, there is a drug called BDL is actually targeted at African-American communities. Now, if race doesn't exist, why are we targeting certain communities? And this is what we call in the social sciences the biopolitics that goes on in terms of the way in which race becomes marketable, huge monies for biotech companies. Genetics is not neutral. It comes through our filters, our social filters, and our categories that pre-exist. Tell me, tell me about the medicine
1: there. I mean, that is, that is an, if, if, if genetics has neutralized race as a concept, but at the same time there are genetic differences between people and some of those um, organize themselves along geographical boundaries, um, what Heidi was just mentioning there about the targeting of specific pharmaceuticals towards specific groups—is that—is that valid? Is that something that carries any scientific? Rather, let's separate out the politics of of pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical business. But is it—is it something that could be
2: justified scientifically? I think the difficulty is what I was trying to explain before, which is that. In order for genetics, the geneticists to, to look at human groups, they're usually forced to use social groups, socially created groups. Now, socially created groups, are socially defined groups, aren't natural uh, groups of any kind. But it's usually the case that's, that social groups are, have a greater degree of... Two individuals within a social group have a greater degree of relatedness than two, two random individuals, um, however small that may be. And in certain circumstances, that may be useful um, in science uh, and in medicine. But in many cases, it's it's not. And and that's the ambiguity, that's the difficulty of of, of thinking about this. The fact that um, there is a greater degree of relatedness um, within a particular social group um, doesn't mean that the biological reality of race, uh, that race is a biological reality. It just refers to the fact that there are Genetic differences between populations. So, if you take any two populations, you'll find genetic differences. That's the, that's, that's, that's the point. Um, uh, the, the, the kind of great Diane of, of population genetics, Cavalli Sforza, he, he made this point that if you take the people of Pisa and the people of, of Florence and you look at enough genes, you will find a genetic differences between those two groups. So, for example, the the the, the example that Heidi gave
1: about drugs being targeted at African American communities. Mm-hmm. Now, we've already stated, and it's non-controversial, that there is more genetic diversity within Africa and within African American um, people than there is in anyone else in the rest of the world. If you compare any two groups,
2: I'm so not sure about African American people. N- uh, yeah, African-American. Yes, you're right. That's actually, a fair yeah.
1: point. Um, so, does does that does that mean that? is that targeting, I mean, is that scientifically justified? Is there a mechanism that underlies that where you could say, well, this particular genotype, this, this particular group of um, bits of, of DNA variation are more likely to appear in this group of people than in this group of people, and therefore,
2: actually, that is a justifiable thing to do? I'm not sure it's scientifically justified, but, that, but the fact is that as a society, we, 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 we have to look for different groups within society we, um, and that we, and it 's quite useful sometimes to talk about groups within societies, and those groups tend to be socially defined groups so um, if you're looking for um, uh, problems of obesity or heart attacks, it may be that there are certain socially defined groups in which you'll find a greater rates of obesity or heart attacks. Um, that's, that's the case because that's how to, we socially divide up the world. It says nothing about the, 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 the natural categories of, of, of race. It simply says something about the way we divide up the world, and therefore that these um, uh, categories become proxies um, because we have no other categories to use. So it's, it's, it's a difficult question, I think, Um, uh, for which there is no straightforward answer. Um, We have to recognise that these are social groups, but social groups can sometimes be useful in telling us um, that that there are um, uh, genetic differences that are
0: important. So I think, though, with... kind of around this question, what we're kind of asking is, sometimes is it useful to think in terms of race, scientifically? Like, does it help you? Does it give you a shortcut in terms of medical diagnosis? Does it help you get to a correct diagnosis? Does it help you get to the correct drug to treat this individual patient? And one of the... um, and for a while it was thought that was the case. For a while people thought, well, this is a kind of a, a quick shortcut, especially when we when when genetic testing wasn't so easy, that you know, if this individual has these symptoms and they're black, it may be more likely to be X than Y. And one of the classic examples it was thought of this was um hypertension, so high blood pressure in African Americans. So African Americans have more often have hypertension than other Americans, and it was thought to be um, a, a racial genetic difference, and it turns out it isn't. So it, 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 there is higher hypertension, but probably for other lifestyle reasons, which have lots of social factors. And so, um, you know, so this idea that race is a, a handy proxy or may, in some cases, be useful doesn't even seem to hold out in the case where the cases where it was at some points thought yeah. to be useful.
1: And also projecting racial. Stereotypes and myths onto other groups, and that's that continues to exist to this day. There's a myth about American Indians, Native Americans, um, being genetically prone to alcoholism, for which there is no evidence. There is the ongoing myth, uh, set of myths, about sporting prowess in Black people being biologically based, rather than environmentally determined, which is also a myth as far as I understand it. And, and yet we very comfortably continue to perpetrate these ideas. There was um, a recent article, set of articles by sociologists who analysed the way that the media and the public think about sporting success. And more often than not, um, people and sports commentators would refer to success of black athletes as being something that was biologically determined and success of white athletes as being something that was determined by their own training regimes and self-determination. Now, there is simply no evidence to support any of those views, and, and yet they're so culturally ingrained that we just, we just repeat them.
0: And I suppose one thing that happens in terms of, so when we get back to genetics of race, the problem with genetics or um, is that, you know, we don't control our own genetics. You inherit the genes you get and then you have no option but to, to live with those. So when we have these uh, differences in groups, so we have biological differences or cultural differences where, wherever they arise from around the world and certain groups have more of certain traits for all kinds of reasons, but they're not genetic. And I think it's important to remember they're not genetic because when, whenever people feel that something is genetic, they feel it's somehow a destiny written out for them that's beyond their control. And that is where um, the worst of racism comes in. So, first of all, the worst of racism says, you know, there are genetic differences that make some people better or worse than things. All of the good things are clustered in me, yeah, which is usually what you know so first of all, that, that all the good sh- stuff should land in one place or in one grouping is one of the parts of racism. And there's nothing you can do about it because it is genetic. Therefore, you know um, it's a waste of time to try and help these individuals. So um, when we have these differences that do exist, so you know it's, I suppose this is the paradox. So racism is real. Um, race um, genetically isn't real. And, but there also are, there are differences globally. We see this, we know this. Um, skin color is only the most obvious one, but there are other kinds of differences which come from cultural things, not from genetic things, which means that, so the, which means that it isn't a destiny pre, that's pre-written and it, everything is completely fluid. And I think that is where um, genetics has been badly misused. So first of all, presuming that every difference you see must have a genetic biological basis. And then, and that every genetic difference, so even these genetic differences we talked about that allow us to, you know, trace, you know, where somebody maybe originated from, they're mostly in the 98% of your DNA that doesn't really do anything. So, um, you know, they're not, they don't even have um, biological consequences. So I just think it's, you know, this is one of the things that has, um, one of the things that interf- that is used against genetics and kind of to promote racism is that this is a, this is a destiny that is all genetic, that every difference is genetic and that it's predestined?
2: I think... I mean, I'm not a geneticist, so so I I don't want to have... um, But I I do think that categories are important. Um, But we just have to recognise what we mean by categories when we put people into categories. If we could divide... If the world was divided into um, the category of those who are born in areas uh, which have a problem of malaria and those who aren't. That would be very useful categorisation when when it comes to dealing with the question of sickle cell. Now, we don't divide people in that fashion. And so we have to find other kinds of categories that help us um, deal with the question of sickle cell, of Tay-Sachs, or whatever. Those categories are um, often imperfect, the trouble is, we then take the fact that we use these other categories, because they're social categories, and then make a claim about the, the biological basis of race. That's the problem, I think. It's, it's not the categorization itself. It is what significance we impute mm. into those categorizers, into those differences. That's the, that's the problem, I think.
1: Well, oh, hands are popping up. so there's a question on the back row right there. And then do, have we got a, there's a couple in the, um, yes, in the gods. So if the gentleman in the like, check shirt's first, and are there are there mics this, this, up there?
3: There's one here.
1: Okay, so let's. So if you, if you can, one quick question that we can answer. No grandstanding statements and try not to be insane. Uh,
0: <laughs> just uh, just going back to what you were saying about sporting um, with where, where, when you see the Olympics. Obviously, you see the front runners are Usain Bolt. America have a black man as their front as. Their 100 meter sprinter. Mm. Um, I heard something. I'm not sure whether it is a myth or
1: um, or true that uh, black men have and perhaps women have an extra muscle or bone or something in the bone. back of their leg. Extra bone? <laughs> not, not probably not
2: a bone, but a, a muscle
1: um, that allows them to run faster and over evolution. Sure. Because they perhaps they had to walk further, you know to get water and, you know, things okay. like that. yeah. No, so, so, I am not sure whether it was true or not. So there, there is, so as often with these things, there are some aspects of truth in some of the things that you just said. So you're absolutely right, there hasn't been a white man in the final of the Olympics since Alan Wells in 1980 who won it, but that was the year that America were boycotting it because it was in Moscow. Now, if that's not a social construct, then I don't know what is. There is, there is. and again, this refers to biological differences between people. There are uh, groups of people who have faster... They have more fast-twitch responses in their, in their muscles. Um, and that does predispose, to a certain degree, you being better at explosive um, uh, movements than people who, are, who have a lower frequency. I am unaware of anything that has ever demonstrated that those occur at a higher frequency in black people than any other class of people. And as we've already said, the term black is effectively meaningless with regards to this conversation. There haven't been nearly as many long distance runners who were not from um, mostly from, from Eastern Africa in the last you know, many years, the majority of the 20th century. But they, we broadly also categorise as black, but of course they're not very good at sprinting, those guys. There was a a book written in the run-up to the Second World War, which was largely to do with the promotion of Aryans, which declared quite conclusively that the majority of long-distance runners, and this was factually true, were from Finland and um, And again, I mean, that just says that there may be there are biological differences between people that is true how essentialist they are, how they congregate in one particular group of people i i I think that's the that's the key difference but those those sorts of things you just said are 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 you know they're, they're the types of semi truth semi myths that perpetrate through through the ages very, very easily. Does anyone else want
3: to? Yeah, I was just going to make the point of pseudoscience. We have pseudoscientific explanations for why certain groups are better at something than the other. So, for example, you were talking about sport, and, you know, the black prowess at sport can be explained in these crackpot ways. But we also have, at the other end of the scheme, you know, crack equally as crackpot ideas about intelligence and who's more intelligent than the other. And you know, and I want to go back to the old you know, 19th century ideas about racial difference because we still have ideas lived out today about black people being less intelligent. And I do a lot of research in education and this is something that we pick up all the time. So if there's no genetic differences between groups, why do some groups do better than others in schools, in education? And that is largely because we have imbued these ideas, these pseudo-scientific ideas about difference, and we live them out in our daily life. So what we find a really strong determinant of how people do well or not in school is the expectations of the teachers. And those expectations of the teachers are you and I in this room, with influenced by all sorts of historical and geographical and pseudo-scientific ideas about difference. And one of the big ways in which race has always been um, manifest itself is through differences in gender and in sexuality and in class. So we think in those ways, and that becomes the truth. That becomes the way that we see the world. So we find that teachers... I I was recently doing a piece of research, and a teacher said um, uh, black boys could never do well because they have lower IQs. So what is the point in even bothering with them? This is what a teacher told me. And we have to think, where did that come from? And the boys that he teaches, and he was a science teacher, by the way. So science is more than just genetics. It is social in so many different ways. And he had been, this teacher had been to university, he'd been through the whole education system, and no one had challenged his racism. And he believed this. He absolutely believed it because he came to a workshop of mine which was about diversity and multiculturalism. He wanted to learn more about it, how he could extend this idea and how we could have special education for young black people, young black men, as a good thing, as an anti-racist thing. So this is how race lives in the social world. And I think okay. that's something we really need to think about. So
1: hands are shooting up all over the place, as I anticipate, so, do you want to make the point? No, that's okay. okay, fine. So I did say I'd go to the, the, um, the balcony first. So there were two, I can't really see because of the lights, but when it, you, you judge for yourselves and speak. and then I'm gonna, And then I'm gonna go over here. And, oh, bloody hell, calm down. <laughs> Who's got the mic down here? Is there a mic down hi, here? Hi. Oh, uh,
3: sorry, hi. Um, I just wanted to go back to the um, question about the biological basis of race, because uh, I'm sorry to take it back to the hypertension um, point, but I also want to draw a parallel with the management of kidney disease in different races as well, which, again, is largely based on race in some um, situations. And I just wanted to make it clear that I think to put, to put all of that down, to put the, the, ma- the management being different in different races, to put it all down to social constructs and pseudoscience is irresponsible because there are scientific bases to it and it is based on race. And it, although it's obviously not to do with g- genotype, there is a biological basis to it and it is being evidence-based. And I just wanted to know your opinions on that. From not a genetic point of view, but a biological point
0: of view. Okay. So I wasn't trying to say that it was entirely pseudoscience. Um, so um, so there, there are, there's both truth and um, folly, I suppose, wrapped up together. So one of the things is, say, for example, um you know in i don't i don't i'm going to pick a really bad example because i don't know uk well enough but like so if you just if you if you were talking about if you're in some city in the uk and you're talking about non english people so people who have a different ancestry then it's it's also possible that those particular individuals are closely related to each other not just that are so they're not just a random sample of people from bengal but they are um a related group or a, a, even if it's not, not first cousins, still a related group. So there will be a genetic, um, certain consistency within that group, potentially. So there can be both true in the group, in the group you're looking at in a specific place, which is sometimes um, some some of the work might be done in small locations like that, and it doesn't apply necessarily broadly. Uh, more broadly than that and so even in so um a lot of medicine we have you know works well f- like it, it, it's designed to work in europeans and it works well in europeans for things that are common in europeans so there are s- certain there are certain structures where certain things are more common than others it's just not as direct and good a um, it, it's not as perfect a, a, um, a measure as people had thought it was so it's not that there's nothing there there are there are genetic patterns and You know, when we even so, when we see genetic patterns, it's largely to do with relatedness um, and not a large amount of time elapsing. We are a young species, as I said at the beginning. And so, um, you know, and so if that answers it a little less fuzzily, I don't know.
2: I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear the panel's views a little bit more on why categories are important, because the because the point that you all seem to be making is that they is that they're leading us up a blind path that genetics is a science in itself it teaches us about about how and where we've evolved from and uh, and, and that that is not a, a teleoscopic telescopic thing it's on a syndri- it's on a spectrum and uh, uh, and, and so that th- there is not one species or one group of people that is that is better or worse than another group so yeah I, d-
0: I I like Kenan's um, idea that um different categories for different purposes, so it's like what we've done socially um with humans is we picked a few categories and tried to apply them everywhere. But you know if you're trying to understand uh, malarial resistance, well, then you better d- divide your groups of people into people who live in malarial regions and people who don't. If you're trying to understand skin color differences, you better divide your groups of people who li- people who live near the equator and people who live further away from the equator because it's got to do with U v light. Or fish, which is why fish intake, which is why Inuits have slightly dark skin um, but uh, so but um you know so if you have different categories for different purposes, so p- categories have a usefulness, but the idea that there's one category that suits every purpose, every every medical application, every historical study is not true, but unfortunately. Um, we keep doing it.
2: <laughs> we need categories. Because, sorry, go on, Harley. No, no, you, yeah. you can go. I was ahead. saying we need categories because we can't study everything as a blob. Um, it, it is a, a, a practical, pragmatic way that it's, and it's not just genetics that uses categories, every form of, you know, whether you talk natural science or social science, you, you need all sorts of categories. The, the the issue is how we understand and what significance we impute into those categories. If you had a a white Boeing 707 and and a red Ferrari, the fact that one's white and the other's red is of little significance. The fact that one has a jet engine, the other has an internal combustion engine, is probably of great significance. But if you're on a desert island, even that probably has, has no significance at all. In other words, differences matter, Categorization matter, but they matter in context. And it, according to the question you want to answer. And I think the problem with well, the way we think about race is that we think one set of categories answers all our questions for us. That's the problem, I think, with, uh, with, with the Okay, way okay we hold
1: think on. About so, it. I, so, so Heidi's going to make a point. I, 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 it's worth mentioning I wasn't suggesting that everyone 3,000 years ago was a single population. It's just that that's how far you have to go back in order for us to have shared ancestry with everyone. And it's, that's that's not saying we came from that population, it's just that that's...
0: One ancestor in common at that time.
2: One, uh, of, yes. one of the
0: many. Yes. It's not that everybody's... You know, so it's like of all the ancestors you have at that time, everybody in this room has one of them shared.
3: Questions about categories are really important. If I was to tell everyone in this room that we're all just humanity, we're all just one single human race, which we very much love to stay in this post-race world where we've thrown race out the door. Um, if I said that, that, you know, you aren't a black woman, um, you aren't a white woman, um, you're not a black man, you're not a, a, a white woman, if I said that, what you know, whatever you are, if I said, <laughs> without asking you, I'm sorry for making assumptions, but if I said, if I said that, how would you feel about yourself? The question is, we're deeply invested in difference. And that difference makes our world turn. If I said to you, you know, that you, your ethnicity didn't matter, it's part of your makeup. It's part of your history. It's part of your struggle. It's part of who you are, your lineage, your ancestry. So you come from a history. And that is really important. So identity is important. And if we want to look at categories um, free of identity, it's meaningless. So we can say that race is meaningless genetically, and thank God for that, because it gives us some perspective on identity.
1: So you first.
0: Um, So I just wanted to ask, um, when you talk about genetic studies, you're working on the assumption that that sequence of DNA, all those letters, will directly lead to um, the biological differences that, that you see between people. But Sorry, say so the last bit again. It'll lead to... The biological sort of differences that you see between people. But how how safe is that assumption? I mean, I, you've got, you know, your sequence of letters, but that's just sort of one level. And then, you know, it's the way that that, that kind of interacts and... I don't know, just, yeah. I'm not sure. I get your question. So it's actually not the assumption. So the assumption is not necessarily that the sequences, the differences in the DNA sequence directly lead to biological differences for a couple of reasons. When people are doing what they're trying to do, one thing that's definitely certain about DNA is you got your DNA from your parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents. So what we know about DNA is that it is a record, like transmitted from the past and that's the only thing that we say is certain about DNA. When and so it is a um, common misconception in, in, in general not like you know so even in among scientists that genes are very deterministic that the gene you have the gene you have here and the, diff- the sequence letter you have there which is different from somebody else makes you x instead of y and that isn't the case. So it's not the case that um, so there are biological differences that are not genetic um, in the sense that they are not lifestyle or that your genes set you up um, with a slightly higher chance in this direction than that direction, but they don't determine one way or the other. You could still go either way. So in terms of the genetic studies, what they, all they are doing, all they are trying to do is say um, they're looking at the patterns of diversity and not actually trying to relate them at all um, th- so these ones that are big surveys, big population-wide surveys, like global surveys, are not trying to relate them, relate them at all to um, biological traits. They're only saying what is the pattern of sharing of genetic differences, and most of the time, the sharing of genetic differences is sharing is family sharing, right? It's relatives. So that's all it's trying to do.
2: Okay,
1: I've, I think we've got time for a couple more before we get booted out. So the. Um uh, Professor Curry, first, and then if you could pass the mic back. I think they, um, someone's got their hand up, second second row. So go ahead, Stephen. Um,
4: so my question follows on from the previous questioner, and it's really about whether or not modern science can actually challenge our um, social mores, our, our current sense of self, and our notions of race and racism. And comes back to this question. Oh, sorry. Um, and comes back to the question earlier about, uh, and Ken was a bit um, pessimistic about the ability of genetics to sort of challenge our, our, our current set of values. But listening to the discussion, the, it strikes me the historical perspective is important because for a long time it seems as if science <laughs> has actually connived or supported our, or uh, even at best not challenged no- notions of racism. And that's because the science was relatively rudimentary. So if your biology is based on categorizing things and you're doing that large on the basis of external appearances then it seems reasonable to ask questions are there biological differences between people who are of different color for example but now that we have the modern power of genetics and we have learned within the last decade that actually uh, you know the human race is terribly uh homogeneous in terms of there's a very small amount of genetic variation is it possible that once this becomes more widely known, I mean, this educated audience already knows it, but are other members of the panel more optimistic that actually the science is much better now and is actually challenging our notions of categorization? Categorization is important, but it's not yeah, rigid, it's okay. not fixed.
1: I, I want, it I want, change
4: our understanding.
1: I want Kenan to answer that. I mean, my, my feeling, though, is it's a good start Right? So we, we have got to the point, I, I feel satisfied that people like Efa and I can, can make the statement based on the data, based on what we understand about human variation by the determinants of human variation at a biological level, it has no value. The term race has, has no value. That, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm less willing to go further than that, because uh, I'm not a social scientist nor a social commentator, um, but that seems to me to be an enormous amount of progress from the origin of genetics, which was Francis Galton. book out in September. <laughs> it's not just about him. Um, in that he set up a science which, as a racist, set up a science in which he was attempting to demonstrate social hierarchies and, um, and categorization of, of people. And science did a very good job of ultimately demonstrating that he was... Wrong in his prejudices. Now that 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 is that to me is a really robust point for us to go forward from. So we did, we have conversations like this, so that the broader issues are are at
2: least can't be based in the science. That may be true, but that doesn't mean that um, our shifting notions of science will undermine our social categories of people. It wasn't science that, 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 that created the categories in the first place. Science became a justification for socially created categories. Today, you know, the distinction between Muslims and non-Muslims, and Muslims and Christians, isn't based on genetics. It's based on notions of culture. Culture, often these days has the same kind of essential quality in people's mind as race once used to have. So whatever we say about genetics and and the genetics of human differences and the genetics of race, that's not going to transform the social reasons why we do categorize people and why we do think that certain people are us and certain people are the other. That that, that is a much broader issue uh, and while I welcome you know, developments in, in in genetics, I don't think it's going to change that.
1: I am going to close proceedings now <laughs> on that note because we are over time. But if you could just thank our panel, thank and then we can all go. Through.
0: Thanks for listening. Join us next time as we look at the science of sleep and circadian rhythms.